0: Welcome to Health's Kitchen, the podcast that talks all things health, safety, and performance when it comes to restaurants and the food service industry. I'm Aaron, kinesiologist, former dishwasher, server, bartender, and I will be guiding us through this journey as I connect with industry professionals, health experts, and anyone who has a good story in the food service industry. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Health's Kitchen podcast. And COVID 19 is still running rampant through uh, the GTA, particularly, and across the globe. And we're all social distancing, and we're staying inside. And I hope you stayed inside for the entire Easter weekend and uh, found things to do and to watch and to spend your time with. Um, because that's the best thing that you can do right now if you're not a frontline healthcare worker, if you're not an essential service, to be staying inside. And that's how you do your part. But since we're all staying inside, there has been a lot of opportunity for people to think about where they're going, and to reflect, and to think about what they want to do next. And I know for a lot of people, they've lost their jobs, businesses have started to close, lots of not great things are happening out of this. But if I did want something positive to come out of the other side... I would hope that we would take some time to see where we want to go next and how we want to change. And I thought today's guest with her story would really help give some gravity to what's possible and what's possible when it comes to change. So I thought this would be a great story to hear right now. And without further ado, let's get to meeting today's guest. Today's guest goes by the name of Jenna Snyder, and I met her working at a restaurant called Majita in downtown Guelph, and she started her career serving when she was in her late teens, then she went to school, she got a marketing job, and she lived that corporate life. She really got the opportunity to um, move up in her career. And really had the career that a lot of people tell servers, when are you going to get a real job? So she had the life. She was going back and forth to Manhattan, doing all sorts of big corporate things. And she turned around and left that behind because it wasn't working for her. And she came to Guelph and started serving tables again, and that's where we met. And she just knows a lot of stuff about making changes and making change work for you. So without further ado, let's go listen in, and I am really excited for this one today. feeling good to go yeah let's party perfect so i'm sitting here with jenna and uh we used to work together at a restaurant in guelph called magita which i always talk very nicely about um but i thought i always give my guests the floor to kind of describe themselves do the introduction and then we'll go from there
1: yeah hi hi um So I find it, first off, challenging talking about myself. So this is a bit weird, but um, yeah, we we did. We worked together at Magida. I started at that restaurant three years ago, um, coming from a corporate career in marketing, which I'm sure we'll get into because I know you want to touch on that that shift um, coming back into industry. But yeah, I was born and raised in Guelph and I um, love the food service industry. Um, I mean food network for me when I was a kid was absolute porn it was <laughs> I grew up with a single mom. <laughs> yeah. I grew up with a single mom whose idea of dinner was nachos with some melted cheese on it and you know have at it. so um, I've always loved food and um, you know really fell in love with the industry in my late teens but Yeah, now currently unemployed.
0: Yeah, Like all of us. Well, I'm still weirdly employed, but like employed in a different way. But yeah, so yeah, we're all currently sort of sitting unemployed and everything. But how did you get your start in the industry? Because you said you're like, you know, into food, the Food Network and everything. But like, kind of, what was your first job in the industry?
1: So my first job would have been at a breakfast restaurant in Mississauga. Uh, We moved
0: to (laughs) Mississauga. I'm sorry, that's like so, such a specific reference. <laughs> anyway, sorry.
1: I know, I know. But I I just remember I was, um, I was 18. We had just moved from Guelph to Mississauga uh, for my stepdad's work, whatever. And I needed a job and um, it was nearby. So, uh, I mean, I worked at Tim Hortons all through high school, but I wouldn't, I don't know if I would classify that. As, yeah. It wasn't. Yeah. It yeah. wasn't, you know, like serving the floor and whatnot. But so that was my first, uh, my first serving gig. Nice. And yeah, it was, uh, it was wonderful. I, I loved, and what I always love about the restaurant industry is just that camaraderie, that, you know, um, real sense of a team and working towards a common goal and running a service. Um, it's just, you know, you'll hear so many people in this industry talk about, like, it's your tribe, it's your people, it's, it's you know, who you really identify with. We're a bunch of kind of weirdo misfits, and it's a certain energy and personality that draws you to it, um, if you really love it. But yeah, so that was, that was my first gig. And then um, I moved to Kitchener, worked at a restaurant in Kitchener, kind of a chain restaurant. And then my first real, like, introduction into... Um, you know, the the culinary world and the world of, you know, like serving as a career and taking it, you know, really um, identifying with it as a profession was when I worked at a fine dining restaurant up in Muskoka. Ah, and, yes. Yes. And that was uh, through my friend Kelsey, who is, she's a Red Seal chef, now a midwife. <laughs> but she was, she went to Stratford and, um, they recruited because the head chefs there were went to Stratford, so they recruited all their kitchen staff uh, from Stratford, and they asked all of them, you know, do you have any friends that want to want to serve. And yeah. so
0: And it's history from there, right? It's
1: history from there.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's funny. I, I, my first job was at a fine dining restaurant, which is like terrifying that's um, intense yeah completely terrifying um so like my first like standard of anything in the industry was like i started as a dishwasher but then i moved to the floor and everything was just like learning the first time how to do everything but it's like just on like crack comparably um like mm-hmm. the level of service and the level of knowledge and the level of put togetherness and blah 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 it's just kind of uh, absolutely wild um and yeah it's kind of where you like learn to do it right um yes. and how many details have to happen for that to work but if you learn those skills how much you can apply them to like any restaurant you end up being in um, you know cuz yeah. you just get that level of detail that I think a lot of people might not appreciate if you haven't been in like the trenches of fine dining
1: and it is like it is a very intense atmosphere um, and you're you're held to very high standards which is great but it's a bit of a trial by fire and it is nerve-wracking but you're absolutely right. The, the core skills you will learn in a fine dining environment will carry you to pretty much any restaurant.
0: Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, my favorite, uh, like, funny story that came out of that was I went from working there to working at, like, a family Greek restaurant um, <laughs> directly afterwards because I needed a job or whatever. And I had got a serving job there. And I, I, like, they were showing me how to, like, set up and everything. And I said, like, mise en place. I was like, oh, yeah, mise en place. And they were just like, what? And I was like, oh, I'm not in Kansas anymore at no. all. Like, that's, you know, um, so that was kind you of fun.
1: don't have your You don't have your entremetier and manger and saucier and all <laughs> yeah. your stations and all that fun, fancy stuff.
0: Yeah, and all, like, the, like, uh, yeah, all the fancy terms that you would use to, like, communicate and blah, 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 and what course you're on and palate cleanses and canapes and there's an the ice. Bouche. Yeah, and Yeah, there's ice sculptures sometimes and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, like, yes, yes. The fine dining place had a New Year's party. The restaurant got booked out for a New Year's party, so we didn't do regular service. Um, And they had a giant um, uh, martini glass sculpture of ice. And it was the bartender station. So to chill the drinks, the bartender would pour the drink through this tube. Uh, Only one drink. They wouldn't be, like, mixing drinks. But, like, uh, it was, like, this Cosmo kind of drink would be poured through this tube, through the ice sculpture, and that's what chilled the drink.
1: That's fantastic That's the level so of,
0: ostentatious. Yeah, so ostentatious. And it was funny when they were setting up because, like, the manager... I was a total asshole when it came to this stuff, but I also was fully aware I wasn't going to get in trouble for fucking something up at this level. Um, so the manager was like, can you help me set up the ice sculpture and lift it? And I was like, I'm not touching the ice sculpture. Like, I was like, I don't know... I was like, I don't care. Find someone else to do it. Because, like, I'm not touching that thing. Um, Absolutely not. Yeah, I was also like, I did like a catering job at like a very rich uh, Guelph family mansion with that same company, um, like the richest family in Guelph, and uh, you, you know, you know who it is. <laughs> Hazard
1: a guess. Hazard a guess. Hazard
0: a guess who it is? You know, they have that big house on Queen Street, um, and uh, the. Uh, but anyway, so I was there, and we were doing ballet parking. Um, for a charity dinner they were doing, like, the catering company was was doing it, but it was funny, because they asked me, they're like, okay, you're gonna help out with valet parking, and I was like, yeah, I'm not driving any cars. Like, I'm not parking, like, the Maserati, sorry, I'm not taking that responsibility. So my job was to take the keys. So they parked in front, I took the keys, I handed off the keys to someone else, and they would go park in, and then I would know where, what parking space the car was in. So, that was a thing, but I was like, yeah, I'm not, like, driving someone's Porsche, like... And uh, so I was like active, like, I'm not going to get in trouble like the way that other people would, but probably made me horrible to work for. Uh, or like, sorry, horrible as an employee, because I was just like, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs>
1: but I mean, that's not unreasonable that you don't want to drive people's Porsches around. I remember at um, the, the fine dining restaurant up north, it was also a private golf club. So it was a golf club. You could also just do the dining, uh, dining club membership. But the the staff cars, because it was up in Muskoka, you would take, you know, guests, members, um, to and from their cottage for different mm-hmm. services. These staff cars were Range Rovers. I was 20, and they <laughs> just hand me keys to a Range Rover. They had a helicopter landing pad on the back of the driving range. I'm just like, I don't understand this world. I, yeah. I'm too poor. I'm yeah, too poor you're to too do it.
0: Too poor to get it. <laughs>
1: Stop it! No, I don't, like, and I'm handling these women's Chanel coats and putting them in coat rack and, like, petrified, I'm gonna sweat on it and, I don't know. It's it's a lot of pressure.
0: It's a lot of pressure when you have that level of money being, like, thrown around and, like, just, you know, doing catering events for, like, that kind of money, um, you know, and all the stuff. So, yeah, it is completely nerve-wracking. But, yeah, so I would just, like, not do parts of service Mm -hmm. like that. I would do other things. Like, I could do the actual, like, thing that I thought I was there to do. But, like, yeah, valet parking, not my jam. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, but there was always, like, some dumb, like, 20 year olds that, like, always wanted to hop on that. Um, of course. You know, that they were like, oh, I get to drive the cars. And I'm like, have fun. Like, enjoy. Yeah, enjoy, because I'm not interested in that in the slightest. Um, yeah. I will say, this charity dinner, the top prize was a month's stay at a villa. That was the charity dinner uh, top prize. So it was a month stay for you and eighteen friends at a villa.
1: Oh my god!
0: How they did oh it! God. How they did it was there was a hundred champagne flutes with a number beautifully etched into them, and you bought a champagne glass for a hundred bucks, and then they would do a draw at the end of the night, and if your champagne glass got drawn, you uh, won it. So, yeah. So that's like the level of money.
1: It's crazy. But it's funny, too, in that what I found in that world and that uh, environment, what you were saying, the the kind of above and beyond that you're asked to do. You're not just working dinner service. I mean, I was asked to babysit for these members at their cottages, um, you know, take them to, to go do groceries if their car broke down or something. I, I mean, the... The kind of guest experience and going above and beyond um, was far more than what's expected in even like a nice restaurant in Guelph. It's yeah. it's, it's a whole different um, level of expectation for the for the service staff.
0: Yeah, exactly. But right.
1: there's <clears throat> but even with all that pressure, we could, you know, kind of talk shit about it. There's something about being part of a beautifully choreographed and orchestrated dinner service it's just it's there's some magic to it it's just so wonderful and all those little details and going around with a ruler to make sure that all of your cutlery is perfectly evenly spaced and the chair is you know so many centimeters from the table and draping people's napkins over the back of the chair those just uh, you know building those kinds of experiences it's just it's so fun
0: yeah the yeah the pomp and circumstance of it is beautiful when you really mm-hmm. nail it and uh, um You don't really ever see it done, Uh, you know, it's funny, I I absolutely love, like, the the stories of that, but I've never seen it, like, it's hard to explain to someone that hasn't been part of that scene, um, the magic of it, because it's hard, like, I've never even seen it done in movies. Um, The only time that I've actually seen it, like, really done in a movie well was uh, Murder on the Orient Express, the most recent one. I haven't seen that. It's, like, they're super rich train cars. Like, they're in, like, what, the 1920s? Like, very well-off rich people, like the Duke or whatever, right? But the service staff, which are just extras, like, they're not even really involved, but they actually nailed, like, showing them measuring everything and making sure everything is, like, placed right and all the tools they would use to do that. And I'd never really seen that in a movie before. Um, And I was, like, really impressed that they were showing that and i I, you know because i kind of connected with that really well the sort of way that that happens and the way that everything's set up in that way so it was kind of magic so
1: that's great yeah Yeah. they'll usually show the the results of that but they won't show what it takes to do that yeah Uh, and 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 all the you know all the steps that go into uh making they'll show the beautiful banquet table with the the beautiful settings and you know coming and presenting dishes but they won't show like the the tense kind of (laughs) fury of getting that all set up
0: yeah yeah and usually like well most movies are from the perspective of the rich person right who never sees all that happening right so you never get to like actually see that kind of detail um happening in the background right um another movie that kind of does that is also the grand budapest hotel um, gives sort of a, like, it's funny and over the top, but it gives that view of the sort of network of servers and how things are happening in the background so that the guests are totally unaware and have this really nice time, you know? Yeah. Um, I think I heard, I don't know if this is true because I read it on Reddit or something or on an article a couple years ago. Um, but I think the Ritz Carlton, like one of, or like not, no, uh, the Ritz are one of the super high end hotels. Or doing, Seasons? Like, no, no, like, we're talking, like, like, it is one of those brands, but it's, like, one of the original ones that's, like, the super over top one. Um, and supposedly, like, all staff there have, like, a budget of, like, unquestioned, like, $1,500 that you can just spend and will pay you back for, like, guest experiences. So, like, if you're a server and you just happened over here a guest mentioned something, you go and get it so it ends up in their room by the time they're there like amazing you know and it's like 1500 bucks to like just cover that cost so if they talk like dark chocolate or a certain champagne or whatever make it happen um, love it and like that level of like insanity which i think you can see in the grand Budapest hotel that being said this has been a fun uh because i never get to talk with someone who actually like lived that that um, side of the service on the whole um, mm-hmm. this has been a fun segue but i wanted to connect sort of all this to your time in corporate Because I was kind of going into corporate just as you were arriving at the restaurant and you were just leaving corporate. So I think there's like a really interesting connection there. So give me a little bit about that career and we'll go from there.
1: Yeah. So I went to school for marketing and um, (laughs) hilariously enough, I got my first job in marketing because of the fine dining restaurant that I worked at well, in part because of the fine dining restaurant I worked at um, up north. the It's so strange how it happened. So I applied for this job. Um, it was just a marketing coordinator position. The woman that interviewed me was actually the daughter of members that I served up there. And they were some of my favorites because they were from Guelph and they found out I was from Guelph and they thought that was awesome. And, um, and not only that, she actually was taught uh, she went to the same college as me. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, but it was funny, that connection. I said, oh, I know your parents. I, you know, served them up north. And she said, oh, yeah. Funny how many connections you can make in the restaurant industry. But
0: right.
1: so I got that job and um, it started out great for the most part. Um, I joined the joined the company when they were still a bit of a scrappy startup they were doing, uh, so it's medical grade, uh, medical grade devices for aesthetic purposes, namely for at home treatments. So um, LED light therapy for skin rejuvenation, um, some different wavelengths of light that you use in devices for treating different ailments, uh, but mainly it was uh, skin treatment. But we were, like I said, we were a small startup out of Cambridge, and so the career started out pretty great, um, enjoyed it. It was kind of, it was what I love so much about restaurant in that it was a collaborative effort. Everyone had to work together to meet the same end goal. We were all, you know, working our asses off and trying to get things done uh, and find solutions together. And so it was, a, it was a really good environment. Unfortunately, it didn't stay that way. We went through In my seven years there, we went through three mergers and acquisitions, which is a lot for any business. And it was very stressful.
0: Yeah.
1: And by the time I left that career, um, we were a a subsidiary, (laughs) without giving names, we were a subsidiary of the second largest consumer goods company in the world, but part of their venture capital arm. So essentially, we were in a position where we had to be constantly proving revenues. We were... Uh, we had so many um, different KPIs to meet, key performance indicators to meet, um, for them to kind of keep us on as an investment. And we were headed up mainly out of the New York office. So it became a very tense environment. It became very political. And I was very, very unhappy and also very, very unhealthy. Uh, When I first started and you trained me at the restaurant, so you probably remember, When I first started at the restaurant, I was 220 pounds. I was an anxious mess and I had not, I I mean, I was living a life before that, that was just so um, immobile in that, you know, I was at a desk eight to 10 hours a day, every single day for the past seven years. And that was one of the main reasons I wanted to leave that job because I just don't think I don't, as humans, we're meant to move. I I, I think sitting at a stationary for so long, it just does all kinds of crazy things to your body. Um, And that on top of the work schedule I had. So when I left, I was a global director and I was traveling a lot. I was spending every other week in Manhattan. Um, They had asked me to move. I didn't want to move there because I knew it just wouldn't be good for me. Even though that sounds sexy to everyone else, um, (laughs) everyone, you know, looks at me like I'm crazy when I say, no, absolutely not. I don't want to move there for a job that I currently hate and, you know, be stuck in a city where I don't know anyone. And yeah, it wasn't a good deal. But yeah, I was, I was on the road for that. I was going to New York every other week. And then on top of that, my biggest account was Amazon Luxury. I was also doing their digital sales channel. And so I was in traveling to Seattle. So spending that amount of time in airports, eating out, sitting on my ass, I just got to a point where, you know, it affected me so much physically, emotionally, psychologically, uh, I couldn't do it. And I remember sitting there thinking, okay, well, what, what do I do now? If I don't want to continue in this career, what do I do? And you kind of think about, okay, what have I done that really made me happy? And it was restaurant. It was the complete opposite, the the antithesis of what I was doing. It was not, you know, political, there were no games in, in the sense of, you know, people jockeying for power or trying to undermine you. It wasn't, you know, it was a very physically demanding job. It was just, you know, and, It's all about food, which I love. So it was a kind of easy shift for me. But yeah, we were talking before about, how you said, people joke about, you know, it not being a real, quote unquote, real job. And we get in the service industry as servers, we get asked constantly, especially if you're over the age of 25 and they know you're not in school. It's, so what else do you do? Yeah. And it's hard not to take offense to that, but I, I, I kind of understand where they're coming from. However, it's like, well, this is what I do. This is what I want to do. And people, when I tell them what I used to do and making this transition, they sound shocked and they just go, you know, why? And I say, well, why, why would I want to, you know, why would I want to work in an office? And for some people, it's fine. For some people, they, they, they enjoy it. They like the jobs. That's great. For me, it just wasn't a fit. I felt so outside of myself And, like, I didn't fit into this environment at all. So, for me, it made sense, but I can see from other people's perspective why it didn't make sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I totally, um, yeah, I get that. Um, I enjoy, like, you know, I've not been in the industry for, what, like a year and a half, almost two years now, um, how time flies. Um, (laughs) But the, like, I totally get that. And I think for me, because, like, I was always in it, Right up to, like, I've been in it for 15 years. I never had time away um, from, like, from the restaurant life. So, like, I was really happy to get away and enjoy the, the corporate life I live now. But I don't even, like, exist in corporate life like my clients that I work at, right? Like, I see people working yes. in accounting and IT and HR and stuff. And I'm like, oh, that's definitely not what I want in a job at all. You know, so it's like I'm not even really doing the full transfer of life because I am the person who runs around the office and tries to get people up and moving, or I'm on site at a industry client where I'm like doing an assessment with all crazy big machinery and blah, you know, using and like watching how people move and all this sort of stuff. It's actually like my job is not physical in the same kind of way, but the the physicality still has to hugely exist there. Um, Right? You know, I, I haven't removed myself from that side of it and you know i think all my time in the industry has given me an appreciation to be able to move into um those roles really successfully um because i one of my favorite examples is you know when if you've worked with chefs and you've managed chefs um you know going into industry and doing a talk about safe lifting um you're going to be able to handle that room um way better, because I kind of know what they're going to think of me, what they're going to expect of me. And then how do I build something that actually makes them want to connect and listen to me. And I think I kind of have that skill because I worked in restaurants and had to work with chefs in this like, high intensity, how do you communicate with them in a respectful way, but also grabbing their attention and all this sort of stuff. So I think, yeah, I can, I can kind of feel the mirror of that, um, of what you just told with your story.
1: Yeah. And it's funny you say that too, like working, um, working with chefs and there's a whole culture to industry and restaurants. Um, and so someone who hasn't, who hasn't worked in a restaurant who hasn't worked with chefs and especially being a server, working with chefs, they would have no idea what you're talking about. What do you mean? Um, but it, it, it is, it's a, it's a delicate dance that I'm sure you must do, uh, going in and doing those kinds of talks, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, and corporate people are much more easier to, like, manage and control, so it's like, you know, whenever (laughs) you're doing that kind of talk, it's easy.
1: Yeah, And, and because they're used to it, it's, it is, and I don't like when people, you know, equate this to any one person trying to implement this kind of culture in corporate. It is inherent in the system in that you... it it wears you down as a human being. It wears down your sense of identity. Um, There's so much unspoken in terms of your behavior and who you need to be and how you need to operate, how you need to interact, um, who people's positions are and who their bosses are. And it, it's extremely politicized uh, in a very negative way. Uh, Not all places are like that, but you know, they definitely can be. And I found and, and this is nothing against, you know, any U.S. friends, but American corporate culture, I found, has that a lot more.
0: Mm, yeah.
1: You know, um, and that's for my mental health. That was one thing that I found such a difference in going from a corporate environment to a restaurant environment in that I'm celebrated in the restaurant environment for being my weirdest, quirkiest, strangest self. Because when you're, you know, you know, like when you're running a dinner service and tensions are high and you're all trying to get this out and adrenaline is pumping and you, you know, are talking to yourself at the POS machine and, and you know you're cracking jokes or like, you know, probably not appropriate, but you know, like slapping yeah. each other's butts. It's you, you are all on the same wavelength and you are all understanding of each other um, in your weirdness and it's just this beautiful kind of welcoming environment that celebrates you being a weirdo, whereas corporate is the complete opposite of that. There is no room for personality. There is no room, there kind of is, I'm using extremes, but it felt like from my experience, there was just no um, appreciation for, you know, who you are inherently and kind of,
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that's sort of, you know, that's especially like, we're also like, service side staff so like the you know that sort of has to be your strong point right is what you bring forward and i and i you know a few episodes ago i had on where we talked about desire my friend katie and uh Daniella, who's a sex therapist uh and we talked about you know how like you create your charms you create this sort of character that you play in the restaurant and work that to your advantage right and a lot of people don't uh, you you probably don't play in that way in a corporate setting ever really at all. Um, you know my job is a little bit of an outlier, I think. But the you know I have to bring personality to my job because I don't think you could be a inter, you could be a boring wellness consultant. Uh, I'm trying to imagine what that would look like. Um, you know it doesn't really line up too well. Um, but yeah, so that's sort of you know that's a that's yeah it's interesting. I don't really know what to say. I'm just now I'm fully rambling. It's fine. I
1: love it. Ramble, Right. You're right though. You are encouraged to bring your personality to it because that's what, that's, you are selling a version of yourself. You know, I know a lot. We reference being on like, Oh, I gotta be on tonight. Right. Yeah. Um, Which it's not that you are being fake. It's that you are highlighting and bringing forth the more, um, extroverted elements of your personality and you are there to make people have a good time. Right. So you are joking with them. You are cracking jokes about their dad and you know, you're, you're making them have fun. Um, Cause that's part of why people eat out. Not everyone. And trust me, you can pick up on that vibe from a table. <laughs> you know, right. they want you to leave them alone. Um, which is also part of being a good server, I think is reading a table. Uh, corporate environment is, is, different in that you are there's a certain behavior uh, and certain personality you are expected to adhere to and there's something to be said for professionalism um and being diplomatic then there's also the kind of cult of personality that happens in these environments where you know it's, it's it can be it can feel treacherous um to completely be yourself or to uh, express yourself fully or crack jokes or you know um, everything is kind of fraught with a bit of tension In how is this going to be perceived how is this going to be you know um thought about uh, in terms of my position and and is this going to impact me in future ways and the office manager who hates me and has been trying to get me fired is she going to now take this and use this against me it becomes like a weird oh god like roman kind of
0: like oh yeah yeah you
1: know roman senate-esque like everyone battling it out it's it's very strange
0: yeah and like things that you wouldn't even think are like an offense (laughs) Yeah, Uh, i've had a few situations where i've had meetings where i'm not even it's not even me that's getting in trouble i've just reported what somebody said um you know not knowing that what they said was actually going to be really uncouth so i've had a few of those situations cuz i always operate outside the actual client so like it's like you just kind of exist in a certain kind of way but yeah it's really interesting when they task you with something and then you go and ask the person about it or to like possibly bring it into reality and then they say something and you report back and then that was like not the right response at all and i had no idea that this person may have been talking to me in a private way or whatever you know um not not like anything like uncouth private or whatever but like you know what they were planning to get out of this project or whatever you know uh, yeah, so it just yeah those sort of like details and yeah the restaurant's fun because yeah you can be so much more direct and you know uh you have to work as a team because it just has to happen right in that moment you don't have time um yeah. for things to stew where you know things can and other ways right if you're working in different kinds of environments so so yeah so you know you kind of mentioned a little while ago about uh the changes in your health coming into the restaurant industry um you know and what you were kind of feeling before in corporate and what you're feeling now but have you do you actively pursue uh any sort of practices or anything to help uh, manage yourself especially when it comes to restaurant work right because it's so physically demanding
1: yeah, I, I have recently. When I first got back into the industry, it was literally going from zero to a hundred, right? So it was uh, just really trying to get myself up to be able to do the work because it was so physically demanding. I was very overweight. And um, yeah, I've, been, I've made the joke like the whole first year is was there. I spent seven years sitting on my ass. It's, it's a bit hard uh, to then be, you know, running 10K for, you know, five hours. Um, I have definitely in the last year and a half had to really focus on taking care of myself because I, for, my, for me, I don't necessarily see myself as an athletic person. So um, managing my physical health in that way, I just thought, you know, well, I'm not like a pro athlete and I'm not, you know, I, I, and I didn't know that world, really. So uh, it's been a lot of learning for me because I was experiencing some repetitive stress injuries. I was experiencing um, what we all do, you know, joint pain, low back pain, shoulder pain, all those kind of physical ailments that come with doing this job and trying to find ways to, to mitigate that. Uh, but again, I have a bit of a different perspective because of how poor my health was before, to how much it has vastly improved from being active and from doing this job. So, even though yes, I definitely have had to focus um, on taking better care of uh, of myself while doing this job, I have such I have such a different perspective because I am so much healthier than I was physically and mentally. So, yeah, I. I there are certain things that I need to focus on. I think we all do in this industry um, and taking better care of ourselves. But also I'm not, I came into this at 28. I came back into this at 28. So I didn't, I'm not doing what I was doing in my early twenties, which was that kind of the movie waiting kind of server experience where you're getting messed up every night and getting loaded and then getting up for an opening shift the next day and then getting drunk the same night, like that kind of party lifestyle isn't part of it anymore but I know that that can be an issue as well for a lot of people in the industry, right?
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, you kind of skipped, well not skipped, but like you kind of avoided that trap maybe a little bit.
1: Yeah, I already did it. So it's not yeah. it's just that I knew going back into this how easy it is to fall into those traps because I've been in those traps before. Yeah. I was. I knew what it what it's like to constantly have a cash flow and to spend that money. And to go out and blow it on booze and having fun and partying because you get through a service, you have all this adrenaline, you're with your friends and you're like, let's just go for a drink. And then it perpetuates. So It's very easy to do. But I was conscious of that when I was coming back into it of I I don't want to repeat those mistakes. And I want to be very conscious of um, not falling into the staying up late, sleeping in, getting drunk et cetera, et cetera. I mean, every once in a while.
0: But. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, I think that's the big thing, right? It's like just being aware of it is such a big deal and being able cause then you can change your patterns or change the way that you act around it. Right. Um, you know, but if you're, if you're just, I think a lot of people get into the industry at like 17, 18, 19, 20, and that's what they know. And then it's really hard to notice until you're way older Um, how much it's just been ravaging on your body and your mental health and all these sorts of things because the culture is just always, it's just is what it is, Um, you know, but if you can get away from it a little bit.
1: Yeah, and it's also, I think we all, you know, back of house, front of house, everyone who works in a restaurant, we all have knee problems and low back pain and shoulder problems. We all are experiencing the same thing. So I think part of the problem for me and for many people is that you don't, it's just kind of part and parcel with the job. You don't necessarily think, or at least I didn't think at the beginning, like, oh, hey, like I should really be doing these strengthening exercises. I should make sure that, you know, I'm working on having a strong core and rolling out my muscles after a shift and waking up and doing stretches and, and really taking care of myself to help mitigate some of these issues that may become really big issues later on. You just think, well, that's part of it. That's, you're just going to be in pain doing this job all the time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, you know what? That's okay. This is something that I've been noticing and my fellow registered kinesiologists We're talking about this really heavily. And I think we need to work way harder about all this, but like to talk to people, honestly about like maintaining your health and that that's, It's not just getting old, right? Like, it's not just that you, uh, you know, your knees start to hurt, your back starts to hurt, and all these sorts of things, and there's nothing you can do. Um, Or it just gets bad enough that you need to go for treatment. Um, So, work with a physio, a chiro, whoever it could be. Whereas, you know, kinesiologists, and where we, where I think that we need to exist on the market is like maintenance and like performance and just saying, like, No, you don't just have to get old. You don't just have to wear out. You can actually maintain your body and think about that and do that in an effective manner that's appropriate for you. You know, so it's not about like, you know, turning back time, you know, or something like that where it's like, oh, yeah, you're just going to be feeling like you're 20 for your whole life. But no, we can actually build you and give you strength and all these sorts of things to just maintain what you need to do. Uh, for your regular life. And I think that's something that we as kinesiologists are working and need to work harder and better to show how we differentiate within the market. Um, You know, especially for physically demanding jobs like restaurant workers and such.
1: Yeah. And I think restaurant workers need that. We also need the sense that, you know, we need to take care of ourselves. Yeah. Um, So much of it is so demanding and so much of it is... I was kind of just expecting to beat ourselves up uh, for, you know, for the work that we do. But I, I, for myself, I got a really rude awakening at Christmas this year. And I had two days off for Christmas and we had a crazy, we had our busiest Christmas season. It was, it was insane, but it was super fun. But come Christmas, I remember I was immobilized for two days. I sat on my mom's couch in my onesie, drinking White Russians, pretty much unable to walk, and it scared the hell out of me because I was like, if I if I can't if I can't walk, I can't, I can't do my job, um, and the pain had gotten so bad that you know I couldn't lift anything. I was and at that point you kind of panic and go, okay, well I'll do some some um, some yoga stretches and I'll, I'll I'll look up how to you know maybe relieve some of this tension in my low back and and you get into a bit of a panic mode of let's just fix this now. When, you know, I realized after seeing a couple massage therapists and physiotherapists that mitigation is the best, like preemptive measures are best. Like, yes, let's fix this. Let's get you to a point where you can, you know, move again. But you really need to be, to not get to this point, you have to be doing these kind of everyday things.
0: Yeah. Um, And also connecting in with your body, Um, you know, building practices, because a lot of people also don't know what it feels like um, when something's tight and that it might be heading towards an injury. Um, Mm -hmm. Like we don't talk about that a lot um, in regular population. There is actually like uh, phases of an injury, right? Of how something feels. And you can actually get ahead of something like months before it gets bad. Right, But we, we can't do that if we don't build in those practices into our regular life um, of being able to check in with our body. Right? Uh, I always reference to old episodes because now I'm getting like such a library with these things. But literally last week's episode with my fellow, our kin, Jamie Glassman, we talked about this where it's like, okay, for restaurant employees, if you build a pre-shift warm-up routine where you do a few like, stretches or whatever you put together for yourself, it's like five minutes before your work shift, that's your check-in with your body right? Where you can say, oh, my shoulders feel tight. Maybe I need to go home and stretch them a little bit more before my shift starts, you know, uh, next time or whatever, right? Before there's pain or anything, right? So you can get ahead of those sorts of problems and then not have to, you know, uh, get to the point where I'm broken, I need to help someone fix me, right? Um, Right. Yeah.
1: But I think you're absolutely right. And I think what's a challenge probably for people, for me, it's much easier to see the progress in, in the changes in my body and how this work puts different stresses on my body versus office work. And that's not to discount, trust me, I was uh, getting a massage a few months ago and the masseuse, she, she was working on my right shoulder and she's like, when did you injure your shoulder? I said, I never injured my shoulder. That's repetitive stress from my office job. And she was like, oh my God. So it's not to say that there aren't stresses and strains within office work as well. So I don't want to discount that. But I've been very aware of the difference in the two two and how uh, my body has changed and how it responds to this different kind of stress. Whereas I think, like you said, people who have been in this industry since they were 17, 18, got even younger, that may may be harder for them to identify because they're They started off so young and then as they get older and continue to put the strain on their body how do they know their baseline right how do they know oh this may become an issue it's just you know my back always feels tight my left knee always kind of hurts yeah. It, it may not be as easy for them to recognize and identify, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. And that's, yeah, what is your baseline, right? Like getting that sort of uh, knowledge about your own body, right? And what is the normal, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, and that's going to be different for every single person, right? Um, you know, uh, some people may have like, you know, tighter hips, so they're going to have possibly like knee pain in some way. And that might be normal for them to have knee pain, but the severity of that um, will be affected right. by that you know and like and knowing what that baseline is right and uh you know and i think that as kinesiologists this is where we need to like hop on like this in my opinion like this is where like as a as a profession we need to start hopping on building these sort of like resiliencies for people because i think that's where our value is right like leave treatment to the People who treat, like the physiotherapists and stuff. And, like, obviously, we're still able to treat things and all sorts of stuff through movement therapy. Um, But we're part of, like, okay, where, how do we maintain, how do we build people to be stronger and better? So, and I think I'm starting to get an idea of that with this podcast by talking to people, right? So,
1: yeah. And absolutely. And and that I think is something that the industry really needs. It's because. (laughs) We, yeah, it it is overlooked, um, those preemptive measures. Like you're saying, we usually get to that kind of critical mass and go, oh, holy shit, I I can't, I have, you know, I've blown out my knee, I've thrown out my back uh, without looking at, okay, if we actually, and even if you have that as part of the business itself, um, like you're saying, like on a pre-shift, you know, managers doing uh, a little stretch routine or something like that, If it was built into the work, I think it would be much healthier for the employees and it'd be a lot easier for people to do versus saying like, oh, you know, go home and do these things. If it was actually built into the work and into the schedule, it might be easier for people to incorporate and it you know kind of adapt to and and bring on as part of you know their working
0: life 100 percent. so and that's kind of what i'm trying to like that's been the fun of this podcast is to hear these stories and start having Mm -hmm. people who are like no we need this and that's why i've really enjoyed being able to shine a light on a little bit because i think people are starting to little come around right and as i have more and more people listen to this thing um you know and backlog through the episodes i think they'll start to understand the message that i'm trying to put forward with this Right. Yeah. And
1: hopefully if people are listening to this, because our our industry is shut down right now. So there are a lot of industry people who are, you know, uh, sitting at home unemployed, unfortunately. But not to discount how serious the situation is right now and not to say that it's not terrible. In this specific context, I think it's almost a little bit of a blessing for restaurant staff to take a bit of a break. I'm not happy about anyone being employed. I'm terrified for the industry and I I don't want anyone to, to lose their restaurant or anyone to be out of work. But if we are all in this position to take the opportunity and assess, okay, you're not, you know, you're not a chef working 16 hours in a kitchen. You can now look at your own body and physical health and go, okay, a, you have a break to just rest, which you know, does not happen in this industry. Um, There were all those jokes going around on Instagram of like, this is the first time restaurant workers are going to have a semi paid vacation ever. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. But what I know for myself, uh, it was just timing. I came out of Christmas with that injury. I was still experiencing some problems, but then met with a really great RMT uh, who helped me identify issues and where I need to be strengthening. And I took the approach of, okay, I'm going to look at where my issues lay, look at where I need to be um, building strength in certain areas and a routine of stretching and taking care of myself. Cause I now feel like I have the space to do that. It's unfortunate what happened to get the space to do that, but trying to take the time to, yeah, make sure that, and I'm really trying to stay positive when this industry, you know reopens and when this you know is over um coming back to work with a completely different attitude on my own health and how to work yeah Uh, so and not that you know restaurant workers have to do that uh but I think it would be good if if we did just you know to take care of ourselves
0: yeah and I think that's going to take different forms for obviously everyone right it doesn't need to come from the physical health aspect it can come from uh mental health it can be all sorts of different things but I don't think um, I don't think we're ever going to have again in our lifetimes this moment of pause.
1: The world has stopped.
0: Yeah, so you know? for a lot of people, the world has come to a complete stop. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, um, which is a bad thing. Um, and not yes. trying to not trying to downplay the aspect that it's a bad thing. I have friends who are doctors and nurses in ICUs right now, and like they're going through it. So I totally understand that. Like, there's it's not a good thing. But for anybody who is, you know, isolating at home and doing the right thing, this is also an opportunity for you um, to do some things and to play around with stuff. Right. Um, I was chatting with another uh, health professional friend of mine and they said, this is your like perfect Petri dish right now to like start messing with stuff. Right. So it's like, you know what? Try this thing for a week, because right now you can really get some good data on like, does it make you feel better? You know, what does your morning routine look like? What is, you know, what does doing exercise regularly every day, even if it's really small changes on your body? What does rest feel like on your body? And how can we, you know, maybe we find some stuff that work for us. And how do we, when we're all back, how do we keep that going? How do we change how we maybe think about things and have a bit of a paradigm shift around all this stuff? And I think that's going to be, that's going to be really interesting um, when that comes.
1: yeah. I guess I I can see how people might not want to take this opportunity um, to do that. I think it's important. That's just for me, though. I think it's really important to do that because my own issues and what I was experiencing. Um, but like you said, this is not too... I mean, many family members are nurses um, and in the healthcare professional. same with friends. So yes, I I am not happy about how this pause came about. But if some good can come out of it, and if we're speaking specifically about our industry, it would be really nice, yeah, if people were able to heal themselves a bit. And like you said, whether it's physically uh, or psychologically, you know, dealing with their, their mental health, uh, that would be great. I think touching on that, the mental health aspect, though, what's hard, and I know for our restaurant specifically, and we could extrapolate that to a lot of restaurants, because you work at enough restaurants you know a lot of industry folk are, we're the same, we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're the same, same kind of people, is that you do build these communities within restaurants and these families, and whether you're really extroverted or not, we rely so heavily on each other, and I have not had a day in this job where I did not want to go into work, where I was not happy to see, yeah, I might've been bummed out. I didn't really, it wasn't on and, you know, feeling like I wanted to go perform for tables, but I was so happy to see the people that I was working with. And so for us to be separated like that, and people are experiencing this with their, with their families and friends. I get it. It's uh, it's extremely hard from the perspective of, of specifically restaurant work and mental health, being away from those people and not having that sense of community to walk into each day is hard. Mm-hmm. People that accept you and love you and understand you uh, and that you've been through the shit with uh, and get you on a level other people don't. It's, it's really hard to be away from them. And it's really hard to not have that sense of connection all the time. Okay. So that's one thing I do worry about. Um, yes, use this opportunity to physically get better, but, the impacts it may be having on on some of us in terms of being away from each other.
0: Yeah, and to regularly check in, right? Like this, uh, you know, um, everything is obviously falling apart, but I think it's really important. Um, and this could be also for, like, owners um, and, like, managers of restaurants to also look into, like, check in with your staff. Even if your restaurant is on hold and all that stuff's happening, this is time to have regular check-ins with your uh, team anyway, right? To say, hey, what's up? How are you doing? You know, we may not be employed right now, but, like, you know, how's it going? Because I know a lot of people, like, a lot of their whole social circle is that restaurant, right? Um, And if they don't have anyone outside of that uh, to be checking in with them, that's important right now. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm working through uh, my friend lists and, you know, I'm doing regular RuPaul's Drag Race viewing parties on Fridays uh, on Zoom and all these, like, group activities and stuff that sort of just open invitation um, to try to like just say hey if you want to come hang out with us uh while we're cooking dinner feel free right just to kind <laughs> of build in that way and I think that's really important is that to, to start thinking about connecting in that way regularly because right now we don't have the luxury of being right in front of each other yeah so yeah
1: I know but everyone you know everyone's making sacrifices and it's looking at the situation um you know, on a positive note, people are taking this seriously and people are, you know, making all kinds of sacrifices um, for, you know, for healthcare workers, for vulnerable people. Uh, so I think, yeah, we can we can have our little pity parties for ourselves and, and whatever, but at the end of the day, I think it's really wonderful that, um, I mean, as a country, not just as an industry, as a country, we have, you know, done this um, for each other. Yeah. It's, it's, you know super wonderful it's really cool Um,
0: so yeah okay well okay i think i think that's awesome we've already been chatting for a little bit i think we covered everything and that's such a nice sort of note to finish on for the interview portion so i think we're gonna take a little break and uh we're gonna come back and we're gonna do some crazy restaurant stories like we always do uh and uh yeah we'll leave it at that and we'll come right back sound good sounds great perfect Hey, listeners. So, by the way, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to it. On Spotify, hit the follow button. On iTunes, hit the subscribe button. Whatever you want to do, go subscribe so you can listen to this show every time it comes out. And even better, if you like this show, go share it with someone you know. It's a great show. Let's keep it rolling. I want more people to listen to it. We got a lot of people who are now listening to podcasts because they got time on their hands so go share it around put it on instagram do whatever you gotta do that being said as well you can follow us on instagram at balance underscore life underscore services you can go join the health kitchen facebook group if you're interested in something like that or you can also just keep listening and we get back with some crazy restaurant stories see you there So we are back from my ad segment, and I don't know what I put on that ad segment, as I always say, um, but I put something, uh, and I put some music, the free music from YouTube, and <laughs> and we're going to get into our crazy restaurant story. So I always start, and this one I remembered recently, because, you know, they come out of, like, the woodwork in, like, a fever dream. Um and so I worked a lot of weddings. Um, I've served about, like, 15, 16 weddings over my years in the industry. And uh, weddings are always interesting because you never really know how they're going to go. You know, you, you have a different type of, like, mix of personalities between brides and bridezillas and the groomsmen and whatever pomp and circumstance that these people are putting together or their expectation is because it's a wedding and it's supposed to be the only time that you're ever going to do this in your life. Uh, supposedly. So you have all these uh, these expectations and all this sort of craziness. And uh, So I was working at a wedding. This one had more buffet-style food, so I was kind of working a late-night snack station. I was right behind it, kind of helping plate things for people uh, in the dining room itself, or in the, with the dancing and everything. And uh, one of our managers, uh, thank God it was a manager that this happened with, was walking with a half-completed, like, half-eaten um, tray covered in, like, uh, pâtés and charcuterie meats and jam and all sorts of stuff, and she's digging it back to the kitchen, and she's walking with it, and the bride just kind of came out of nowhere and turned funny or whatever and got directly in her path and had the entire tray spill on her.
1: Oh my god.
0: Right? Uh, like, just oh. the wild... I'm so happy it was a manager... Like, I'm just so (laughs) happy that it's, like, none of the staff because it was just the worst thing that could ever happen. Yeah,
1: because you would have been torn apart if it was you.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's the worst thing that could happen, right? Like, there's a few of those that, like, I still lose sleep over that I kind of did, but that's one of them. Um, (laughs) So, like, that was, like, one of uh, the... So, fortunately, they, like, just, like, kicked... The the manager was really quick and, like, dealt with this really well. Just kind of kicked the bride into the washroom and somehow they cleaned her up. I think they, like, hosed her down with Tide to go. And they, like, made it work. Um, and I think one of the bridesmaids or the maid of honor hopped in there to help and, like, they made it work. Fortunately, this was, like, at the end of the wedding. So this is, like, when people are dancing, they've been drinking, it's dark. People didn't really notice that something had happened with the bride. It wasn't, like, you know, where, like, it was in the middle of, like, the ceremony or something where it was, like, people saw it happen. This was, like, when the cameras are off and people are having fun you know, the bride's no longer in her shoes even, like, you know, very, uh, very, like, put together in that way. So, it's a, fortunately, at the timing of it, it went right. But, like, oh, my God. It's like, the
1: stuff of nightmares. It, it wa- is the stuff <laughs> of server nightmares. Watching
0: that happen from across the room, like, I think I just stopped serving people and I was just, like, watching. Like, I just, like, yep. went deer in a headlights watching what was happening from across the room. So, it was a time. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, uh right so no i
1: don't think i could. Cu- i don't think i i i would not i would have done what you did i would have just i would have froze and just watched <laughs> and just prayed to god that this person was you know understanding and you know you could fix it right away but and i would be so grateful that it wasn't me i'd be so happy that right. it was not me with that tray.
0: yep exactly just that's my only thing just so oh. happy uh, but do you have a restaurant story?
1: I have more of like a heartfelt one. I have we we're just talking about this and like I have a litany of the ones where you know I dropped a whole tray of pints on a woman at dinner. I you know got screamed at about overcooked sausages at the breakfast restaurant. Um, you know, all those kind of like horror server stories. So but when I was thinking about it, the one that stuck out to me the most, um, and it's fairly recent, was when we were in the middle of our Christmas season, uh, this past Christmas, and it it had just been not, it was our busiest Christmas to date. The restaurant open, has been open for four years now, and we were just getting slammed day after day. Like, it just did not matter if it was a Monday or a Sunday. We were fucking delirious. It was just so busy. And um, so we're doing a a couple group dinners. It was like we had a group of 30 and a group of 20. And so (laughs) it was all hands on deck to run the food out as the courses came up. And so we're all in the kitchen. Managers, front of house, hosts, like servers, back of house is all there. All of our chefs are there. And for whatever reason, for whatever reason, this kind of energy just kind of permeated the ether and the vibe of that room and we one person started singing it and then simultaneously the entire staff broke out into my neck my back (laughs) and listening to the entire restaurant staff I'm sure the rest they had to have heard it But everyone just started belting out my neck, my back, non-edited. And it was possibly one of the happiest moments of my life. Um, And it was just this release of energy that this kind of tension we had all been, you know, um, living with for for the past month. And it was just beautiful. It was this, you know, kind of coming together. And we just died laughing afterwards. It was uh, fantastic. And if that, that for me was one of those moments that was, you know, kind of harkening back to our previous conversations is those kind of moments where I really appreciate where I am. And I go, I made the right choice leaving my career and these are my people. And this is, this is the kind of shit, you know, that I want to be a part of. Uh, so yeah, that, that's my, my fun restaurant story. I don't, not, not a horror story, but one that I thought was pretty great.
0: Nice. Nice. I love that. Um, You know, it's funny, Al, I can think with uh, My Neck, My Back is my favorite rendition of it by Al King.
1: I, oh my God, okay.
0: (laughs) It's the best one. We can talk about
1: this. It's the best one. It is the best one. I have listened to it probably a hundred times. My buddy Maddie and I got drunk one night and recorded it. uh, And then we recorded it, turned it into... um, uh, a downloadable, whatever, put it on SoundCloud, and we gave it to all of our friends in their Christmas cards as their Christmas gift.
0: It's so it's good. A,
1: it's so good.
0: I love that it's just like it opens with her strumming the guitar and then her with her sort of crass voice being like, if you're offended, then get the fuck out, please. <laughs> and then like gets into the song and it's just, she's so... And, like, she can't even hold it together how funny that song she is, Singing it throughout. And, like, her voice mixed with it because she kind of has such a, like, crass kind of sound to her. It yeah. works so well. <laughs> it's perfect. Uh, uh, she's so great. Uh, I wonder yeah. if I can figure out how to get the rights. Because I've seen other podcasts where they do a song for a really short period of time. I wonder if I can figure out how to drop that in there. I'll see if I can figure it out. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe we'll have El King at my, my back in this episode. Who knows? Uh,
1: oh, you make me so happy. Right.
0: Well, this has been an absolute blast. Um, yes. I think we've had a lot of fun. I think, you know, as the show grows, maybe you'll come on for some more episodes, uh, you know, as we see what happens. I have all sorts of ideas of like offshoot episodes um, for people to do. I want to possibly get like a, a letters from people of their crazy restaurant stories and then reading that would be great and then reading them on the show is like sort of a mini episode so i'll be definitely like i think you would be awesome for that so we'll see if we can bring that into reality in the future
1: yeah yeah i'd be happy to i mean god i don't know how much wisdom i have to impart here or how you know interested people are gonna be in what i have to say but you know i think i'm I'm a little bit of an anomaly in that i went you know young service industry had a full-blown like Fancy marketing career, and then came back into industry in my late twenties. So, you know that kind of weird shift. It's a good story. I'm very happy. It's a good
0: story, and I think a lot of people will uh, really enjoy hearing it. So, and a lot of people who are maybe thinking of uh, a career change because I have a lot of listeners that don't have anything to do with the industry and are just enjoying it because they're learning about the industry. So, like you know, maybe that will uh, push people in directions towards the industry as well, right, so.
1: I hope so, if that's what they, if that's what they enjoy or they think they'll enjoy, give it a try. I think one of the hardest things for me to come to terms with when I was making this decision was all of the expectations other people had of me and my career and how successful I was, quote unquote successful. I was miserable, but on the outside, I looked very successful. I ticked a lot of boxes. So really getting over what other people may think of what I'm doing uh, was hard, but it was necessary. And I knew that I would be happier for it. Um, Fuck everyone else's rules. I don't care what other people's ideas of success are. For me, I'm very successful. I'm good at what I do. I love what I do. I work with an amazing team of people and I'm happy. So I don't give a shit that I'm not Traipsing around in New York all the time anymore. That's okay. I did that. It was fun, uh, for a time. But um, I, I, I don't. I don't care. I, you. I'm not the one to say this. So many other wiser people have said this. But really, I mean, fuck what anyone else expects of you. It's it's do do what makes you fulfilled and happy. And who says it's we can't have fun? I'm tired of this constantly the The idea that you have to be miserable in a career and you have to, you know, slug it out in an office and have the life sucked out of you for what? It's horseshit. I don't agree.
0: Exactly. I think. Sorry, that was
1: my rant at the end. I
0: think that's perfect, and let's leave it at that. Okay. Absolutely. Fantastic. So, till next time. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Health Kitchen Podcast. Now, if you want to contact me, my email is Aaron at balancedlifeservices.ca. My Twitter is B underscore Life underscore services. My Instagram is balanced underscore life underscore services. And don't forget to go join that Facebook group, Health Kitchen, where you can connect with all sorts of working food service professionals to find out what works for them what isn't working for them, and find some people who maybe know how to help you have a better work day. And remember, if you want to be a guest on this podcast, send me an email. I'd love to chat with you. See ya!